where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere. Today we are welcoming uh, Reverend Brooks Burnt as a guest preacher for us today. Reverend Burnt is the environmental justice minister at our UCC national level. He has written several great books and resources, including one that um, much of our environmental justice team read a couple years ago, Cathedral on Fire, a Church Handbook for the Climate Crisis. And Reverend Burnt has also led the UCC into a deeper commitment to environmental justice, which has been recognized uh, by national organizations um, in these past years. He has been a gracious and generous resource for our local environmental justice ministry team as they have been discerning the way forward into becoming a creation justice church. And I know that you will all appreciate the message that he brings today, and I trust that it may spark all of our imaginations as we think about how to step forward in this new path together. So let's welcome Reverend Burnt, who will be joining us live, but remotely. Let me begin with the Hebrew scripture reading. The, the, excuse me, the scripture reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. It reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we see the world called into existence by God's word. What we see created by what we don't see. There ends the scripture reading. I'd like to begin on several notes of gratitude. First, thanks so much for having me as your guest preacher this morning and for enabling me to, to join so join you all from the comfort of my own home just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. A special thanks to your church, the members of your church who made this technologically possible, especially Wayne Simmons. And a special thanks to Amelia and your environmental justice ministry team for reaching out to me and expressing interest in the UCC's Creation Justice Church program, a program designed for churches to intentionally reflect upon how they are living out our first calling in the Bible to care for God's creation. That's the first job God gave to us. And I love how responding to God's call to care for creation can easily arise out of a deep sense of gratitude. Just think about the gifts of creation, the air, the sun, the soil, and the water. Without these, we can't survive for one moment. Every day we can wake up in thanksgiving for each breath we take. In working on environmental issues, one of my favorite quotes comes from a beloved, beloved champion of the homeless in France who died some years ago. Father Pierre would say, we must always keep both eyes open one eye on the world's suffering so that we can fight against it, the other on its wondrous beauty so that we can give thanks for it. 
I'll confess, sometimes I have a tendency to, to see out of only one of those eyes. I have to remind myself to, to keep some balance. Because to be honest, if you watch what's in the news about the environment, it can sometimes plunge one into a place of despair. There are the climate-related disasters we're already facing, and there are the warnings that things can get worse. Every time a new climate report comes out from the UN, for me, it's like, oh boy, gotta get the, the inner fortitude ready for this one. Less than a month ago, the world's leading climate scientists announced that in order to keep from going from bad to really bad, we have less than three years to stop the upward trajectory of our greenhouse gas emissions before heading into a, a relatively rapid descent in decreasing our emissions. We put in the arduous effort now or we suffer far more later. Oh boy, how do we deal with news like that? It's a spiritual question, a, a faith question. For humanity, the climate crisis is a faith crisis. In the face of dire warnings and predictions, we somehow have to muster the faith and the hope necessary for the present moment. To put it in the words of our scripture for today, to have hope for the present and for the future, we need to somehow muster the conviction of things not seen. Now, if we read the next sentence in our scripture, we learn that while we don't see everything, we do see something. We see all that God has created, and for that, we can be grateful. I believe that here and there, we can continue to see manifestations of the divine at work in our world. Here and there, we can find nuggets of, of hope, even when all has not yet been revealed. This morning, I want to invite you on a, a treasure hunt of sorts. We're looking for golden nuggets of hope. I'm going to lift up some that, that I've found along the way, and I want to invite you to think about nuggets of hope that, that you have found in your life as well. A nugget of hope that I have returned to over and over again for a, a number of years is a metaphor from the famous historian Howard Zinn. I don't know if any of you ever had the chance to, to hear Zinn while he was alive, but he always had this amazingly buoyant and hopeful personality, despite often being in the thick of activism on issues that can easily cause despair. For him, it was the lessons of history that gave him hope. It was the hard-won lessons of history's underdogs in particular. Zen would talk about not throwing in your cards before the game is over, because there is still a chance that the winning cards might be in your hand. The theologian Paul Tillich said, faith is the basis for the courage to be, but I like to think that faith is sometimes the courage to keep playing our cards despite the long odds. To others, this might seem like a, a fool's errand. I sometimes do embrace the description that the Apostle Paul gave to the faithful as fools for the sake of Christ. And for me, what looks like foolishness to others is an actual, and that is an actuality, often love made visible. I can't look my daughters in the eyes and say, I decided to throw in the cards on their future. Call me foolish, call me what you will, but I would rather have the hope needed to keep on playing my cards. Now, another nugget of hope that I have found 
is one that I discovered in our own UCC history. I always tell our churches that easily one of the five most significant parts of our history is the central role that the UCC played in the birth of the environmental justice movement. Back in the 1970s in the rural areas of North Carolina, the news became filled with reports and images of people in hazmat suits examining areas alongside country roads. A trucking company had decided that to save money, they wouldn't haul toxic manufacturing waste out of the state to a dump site, but they would instead spray it alongside 210 miles of country roads in the middle of the night. The state of North Carolina had to then gather up this illegally dumped toxic waste laced with PCBs, a known carcinogen, and then find somewhat someplace else to dump it. Now, common sense would tell you not to store it in a place with a high water table level so it doesn't get in people's drinking water, but that's exactly what they did. Why? Because the history of segregation has had a living legacy. So the toxic waste was placed in the county with the highest percentage of black people in the state and some of the highest rates of poverty in the state. The local community started to, to organize itself. One of the key leaders was Dolly Burwell, a member of a UCC church who was on the board of Martin Luther King Jr.'s organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. She realized that the energy in the community had to be harnessed into action. So she called upon her pastor, the Reverend Leon White, to train folks in nonviolent action. White was a veteran of the civil rights movement and a leader of the UCC's Commission for Racial Justice. To make a long story short, for six weeks in 1982, people from around the country came and put their bodies on the road to prevent dump trucks from arriving. You had a member of Congress come and put his body on the line. More than 500 people got arrested. The phrase environmental racism came into existence thanks to one of our, our reverends, the Reverend Ben Chavis. An entire nation was awakened to this problem that existed not just in North Carolina, but throughout the country. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Leon White, who gave me a golden nugget that I want to pass along to you. He gave this advice for those wanting to get involved in making a difference. He said, you don't get involved because you know what you're doing. You get involved because you have a zeal to try to make the wrong right. That's all. You don't know how you're going to do it. You just challenge the wrong and somehow it works out. You don't have the answer. You seek for the answer. You seek for it and you don't know what you're doing, but you have the strength, the power and the knowledge to do it. But you don't know it because you never put it into practice. Reverend Leon White said, our cup runneth over by doing. Our ancestors just did it and they have a song they would sing, the Lord will make a way somehow. They didn't know the way, but they believed that the way was in them, but they had to step out on faith to make it become a reality. I want to pair this nugget of hope with a couple of others. It's true that often we need to, to step out on faith without completely knowing what to do. At the same time, I think there is also a nugget of hope to be found in those who have provided us with an example. 
Last month, a church in Ames, Iowa, asked that I lead an adult education session before worship. What they wanted to hear were the stories of other churches and what they were doing. So I said, look, it's probably better if you hear the story straight from the churches themselves. So thanks to Zoom, we created a panel with three persons from churches in Arlington, Virginia, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Urbandale, Iowa. Two of the churches had won national awards for their work in reducing carbon emissions over the past few years. And the third was a pioneering leader in this work years earlier. All three panelists were fairly different in ways that complemented each other. One was a self-described handyman. One had led a state utility department's energy efficiency program for 30 years. And one was a pastor for a church with a goal of becoming carbon neutral by 2030. All of them had insights this year. All of them were their own unique example of hope and action. This morning, I want you to consider the UCC as being one large tree of hope-filled faith. Your church is part of that tree, and you are connected to, to so many other branches of that tree. Thank goodness for our tree because we need all of our many beautiful and diverse branches to successfully confront something as large as climate change. A fourth nugget of hope. In Atlanta, one of the most beloved outdoor areas is a, a former railroad track that was converted into a greenway where people can walk and, and ride their bikes. Along the path, one can find various art installations. There's a, a beautiful sculpture under an overpass of a man named Tony. A church program helped bring together over 200 people to pick up junk off the streets of Atlanta and then work with an artist to fashion it into this representation of a man who was homeless and wayward until a community loved him beyond his brokenness, as the placard puts it. Fittingly, not far from this artwork, there is a post off to the side of the path that has the following quote. When I is replaced by we, even illness becomes wellness. When I is replaced by we, even illness becomes wellness. I would say that when the I becomes a we, there's not only an opportunity for human health to be restored, but there is an opportunity for the wellness of our planet to be restored. Churches are a great we, and this we can be one, a wonderful source of hope in caring for our environment. For this reason, I'm going to pass the microphone over to one of your own members for the fifth nugget of hope. Mary Meyer, would you share with us a nugget of hope? So you've noticed that I am not Mary Meyer. Uh, <laughs> we had to make a last minute shift. Uh, if you are here in Colorado, you know we got some snow on Friday and that required a lot of changing plans. For Mary, that meant her granddaughter's state track meet was moved to today. So she is there cheering on her granddaughter uh, with us in spirit, and she and I talked a bit about what she had planned to share. So I get to share on her behalf. When Mary agreed to share today, she planned to talk about the hope that the Community Garden Project has brought to her. The Community Gardens um, were one of the first really big projects that the Environmental Justice Ministry discerned, 
and it really began with a spark of an idea about how we could partner with an organization that addresses food insecurity through urban farming. And they were looking for space to do that work. Um, COVID-19 slowed down our possible partner organization's uh, plans as it slowed down many things. And the environmental justice team pivoted, which we have all done so much of. And it's out of that that the community garden project was born instead. Mary finds that um, project itself and the way that that community has developed to be a sign of hope, one of those nuggets for her in this world. And I will add to that that it speaks to the resilience of a community that is finding its way forward and choosing to uh, find the hope and the possibility even among shifting sands and changing times. Thank you. I want to encourage you this week and beyond to think about these nuggets of hope and to find your own nuggets of hope. Let these strengthen and sustain you in good times and in bad. Amen. <laughs>